0: Hi, I'm Mark Inelsky, your host of the Economics of Wellbeing podcast. I'm a well-being economist and author of the award-winning book, The Economics of Happiness, and my new book, An Economy of Wellbeing, Common Sense Tools for Building Genuine Wealth and Happiness. I believe the most important aspiration in life is well-being and genuine happiness. But by happiness, I mean the original Greek definition, which literally means well-being of your spirit or well-being of your soul. Did you know that the word wealth is a 13th century old English word that literally means the conditions of well-being? In this series of podcasts, I will explore a wide range of subjects related to building a better world based on flourishing well-being and the pursuit of genuine happiness. I'm joined by special guests to talk about the development of a new economy based on well-being. What if improving well-being for all became the ultimate purpose of business and the economy in these podcasts you will learn how to incorporate the principles of well-being into your personal and family life your business and your community i hope you enjoy this podcast i'm very pleased to have bob willard on my show the economics of well-being podcast Bob is a good friend and has been a mentor to me for many years and helped me to write my first book, The Economics of Happiness. Bob himself is an author of six books, The Sustainability Advantage, which he wrote in 2002, and his latest book called The Sustainability ROI Workbook from 2017. Bob is a leading expert on quantifying and selling the business value of corporate sustainability strategies and has given over 1,300 presentations to corporate, government, university, and NGO audiences. Bob applies his business and leadership experience which he gained from over a 34-year 30 year career at IBM Canada to engage the business community to proactively Avoid risks and capture opportunities by using smart environmental, social, and government strategies. Bob serves on the board of the Future Fit Foundation and the B Corp Standards Advisory Council. Bob holds a PhD in sustainability from the University of Toronto, which he earned in 2005. He is a resident of Ontario, lives with his wife, and is a proud parent of three adult children and the proud grandparent of three grandsons. His purpose is to ensure that the quality of life is at least as good as he has enjoyed himself. In this white paper called Seven Bull Strokes, which Bob has recently released, he writes that we are at a pivotal point in the course of human civilization. We need to acknowledge that the system that got us into this global quagmire is not fit for our future. Let's capitalize, he says, on this rare opportunity to truly transform global systems. In the 16-page paper too long to be a blog and too short to be a book he has argued that it's easy to criticize the status quo there have been glaringly obvious national and global failures to mitigate our current crisis effectively let alone prepare for them but it's time to challenge ourselves to propose what we would do if we were in charge of the world if we had a magic wand and what are the actions that we would immediately take to transform our world to a more resilient just inclusive and safe socioeconomic system bob and i discussed seven bold strokes and other ideas and the place canada plays in the world today in a pandemic economic condition in which i believe canada could be the lead the country canada meaning sacred or peaceful place it is canada's time to shine and to lead the world out of this gloom this crisis of fear and hopefully become a model of an economy of well-being enjoy the show uh welcome bob willard It's my next guest on an economy well-being podcast and bob and i have known each other for a long time i think you inspired me and coached me how to write my first book the economics of happiness and, uh, we've been, we've known each other for a very long time. You've inspired me. You've written many books on, uh, sustainability in the business world. Sustainability Advantage, I think was your first one. I recall, and uh, you've been in my, my classroom when I was teaching. Um, and so I believe you're still in, in the, uh, you're in the Toronto. No, you're just outside of Toronto. Is that right, Bob?
1: Yes. In Whitby.
0: Yeah. And I thought today we'd, um, as fellow Canadians, you, you've written a pretty provocative uh, little white paper uh, with seven sort of pretty, uh, you know, impressive recommendations. Maybe they're old ideas, or you've synthesized them in a way that hopefully compels decision makers to um, move maybe along the path that you're suggesting. And given our common interest in the the emerging well-being economy, and I think Canada is at the forefront of this, I thought we would talk about your thoughts and reflections, uh, both as a Canadian, but also as a strategist and helping organizations move in the direction of sustainability. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Mark. So um, feel free to add your own thoughts as we go along here. Mm -hmm. Um, The Seven Bull Strokes was a little while in the making, I must admit. the first seed was planted probably three or four years ago. Uh, I look at the World Economic Forum Global Risks Report every year, and Mm -hmm. there's been this little item up in the upper right-hand quadrant, the high probability and high impact if it were to happen uh, within the next 10 years, this little thing called global governance failure. Mm. And I thought, "Hmm, what is that? It sort of implies that, there is somebody or some governance institution that's overseeing the globe, the world. And I I thought, geez, who who is that? (laughs) And I, I, I kind of put it on my back burner and mulled it over. And then I started to think, a lot of the issues that we are faced with these days are global issues. Climate change is not a local issue. It's not an Alberta issue. It's not an Ontario issue. It's not a Canada issue. It's a global issue. And now we're hit with with a global pandemic uh, and we've got a global depression and global unemployment of unheard of levels. Um, And we're not well as a, (laughs) as a human civilization on this finite planet. well set up to deal with global issues mm. so I thought okay so who is in charge so I took a look and I I kind of came up with uh, a combination of the G20 and um, the Bretton Woods institutions the the World Bank and International Monetary Fund World Trade Organization uh, and the UN and I thought okay if, if all of these folks got together and could collectively, either intentionally or otherwise, are governing the world, um, and I was in charge of them, if I had a magic wand, what would I do? Because the current pace of, of us addressing these things is nowhere close to what it needs to be. We need to get on with this. And I am so frustrated with, with how, um, how futile a lot of the ways in which we've been trying to engage the right people on the right things has been. Um, so I thought, okay, if I had a magic wand, just for therapeutic reasons, what what would I do? And I thought, okay, I would do a few things instantaneously without blinking an eye. In fact, if I only had the wand for a day, I would do some things. Um, so I started to, to create a list. It was three at first, and then it expanded a little bit but that's the background to it. So mm. basically, it, none of the things in it are new. The packaging of them perhaps as a collection of seven is a bit new and the sense of urgency that I'm trying to bring to it is new. We, we don't ha- have time for a group grope on these things. We, we really need to get on with them. And yeah, it would be nice to build a consensus over a period of five to 10 years and pff, do it. Uh, but uh, the time now is for action. So these are things that I think are safe to do um, as well as helpful to do. So that, that's the background and... Um,
0: so in a 40-floor elevator ride, can you give us the, the seven in a uh, quick yeah, synopsis? Sure. Yeah,
1: So the first one is uh, clean up or act on what we measure. We need to measure what matters and the GDP predominance has is getting in the way of us keeping track of things that are beyond the economic measures and the GDP is a terrible measure in the first place and you're the expert on that so I I won't go into that but certainly we need to round that out with a few metrics around our natural capital, social capital, uh, the way in which we are keeping track of the value of those and not devaluing them in a way that's going to cause problems. Right. So we need something which uh, you call a global progress indicator. Other people call it happiness indicator. Lots of names for it, but basically it, it supplements uh, the GDP with economic and environmental metrics about the social well-being and environmental well-being on the planet.
0: So we want to measure really what matters, as Bobby Kennedy said. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be. That that'd would be cool. nice. That'd be nice. So, yeah. global progress indicators number one. Global two. Number two. A bold stroke is um, to repurpose corporations there 's been lots of talk about it let 's get serious about it. The purpose of a corporation up until recently has been famously to uh, maximize the wealth of its shareholders mm-hmm. and i 'm thinking it 's time we had a multi stakeholder purpose, which is to maximize the well being of stakeholders so that 's number two. number three is sustainable procurement, especially sustainable public procurement, where the government is looking for um, all of its suppliers to simply tell them the extent to which they are helping on these environmental and social agendas, mm-hmm. specifically the SDGs. So would you just please disclose if you want to be one of our suppliers, how you're doing on that. That would be huge. Um, number three, uh, implement a uh, fair
0: and... Was that four? Are we on to four now? We got procurement. we four, sorry.
1: Thank, thank you very much. Yeah. You're keeping track better than that. <laughs> uh, number four... Um, it gets into this global tax system. um, Mm. And we really need to clean up our act because we are getting abused by the ability of corporations and other institutions to hide money. Mm. Um, So the tax havens and the artificial structuring is getting in the way of us having the wherewithal to be able to do what needs to be done when we're hit with these, these crises. So a fair and consistent global tax system is number four. Number five, pretty straightforward, uh, get some gender equality. Start Mm. with uh, the number of women in positions of leadership equaling the number of men. Number six is implement the Green New Deal. And there are different incarnations Mm. of the Green New Deal. Um, I don't care which one they use, just do one. Uh, there's a good choice, mm-hmm. pick one and get on with it because the beauty of the Green New Deal is it addresses these crises in a way that helps with some of the other issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's brilliant. And number seven, and this is your specialty, uh, reform the, the banking and the security system, uh, which is getting in the way of us doing some of the other six um, so that's, that's, the seven and it's, it's a pretty good starter set. I'm sure there are others. <laughs> um, but, uh, what I'm trying to help myself and everybody else understand is, um, we, we work on the things that we are, that we are, uh, connected to in our circles of influence. But altogether, all of our circles of influence touch all of these things. So if we have a common agenda, and we're all trying to work on these things, some of us can work on some of them more than others, um, I think we can do this. I think we can really do this. So do we need to reconfigure the Bretton Woods institutions? Yeah, I think we do. Do we need to need remandate them, maybe, or create new, new groups? Um, But I've been pushing this rope, trying to engage uh, businesses for smart business reasons to be more careful and respectful of the environment and society. So that's sustainability. The business case for doing that. And my shtick has been to do a cost benefit analysis of why this is a smart business thing to do i've been doing that for 20 years
0: you've been so effective at making the business case for sustainability which yeah. everyone's wanted and, you know, 20 years ago and you've shown it over and over again um, on the
1: other hand uh and there are companies that are getting more effective at doing that but frankly not enough not enough so we reflect- need other catalysts
0: right we need so other catalysts i'm just curious i mean one when, when can look back on your life and go you know we, we didn't, we didn't progress enough, but in, in some ways we've made a lot of progress. We, we do have increasing interest in the GPI, uh, or at least, but there, but the question is, and you've been so, you've been so effective at affecting so many lives in the corporate world and thinking about sustainability. I, I guess the question is, why is it that serious action at world economic forum, serious commitments uh, have not stuck, have not, caught fire uh and now here we are in a global you know still a global pandemic economy um what 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 do you think it will take for people to um to s- embrace i guess that the opportunity is actually not that scary um the alternative i in my my view of course is not not scary it's completely doable you've shown that so many times i've tried to show that but yet there's this barrier to genuine action, I guess, genuine, you know, if governments have failed, then here's the opportunity for bold, courageous, um, not even revolutionary movements.
1: I I, uh, would boil it down to not the right people asking. If Mm. we're trying to engage the business community, uh, to me, the two most important people to engage with them are the providers of capital, banks and investors
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and customers the investment and banking community through the task force on climate related financial disclosures is getting the attention of of businesses at least on that issue Mm -hmm. and they're saying by the way before we loan you our lend you our money or invest in you we just like to you to disclose to us um how are you doing on getting ready for climate change is this going to wipe you out are you a risky investment or is this Something that you've already thought of and you're doing the appropriate things. So the investment community is getting me, getting a little bit more uh, vocal. But the other voice that we need in the chorus are big customers. Not customers like you and me. I mean big mm. customers, big yeah. corporations and governments. So in, in our little patch, Canada, uh, there's about $20 billion that the government spends every year. Uh, that's a right. lot of market yeah. force. That's yes. a lot of buying power. Um, but if we're going to get the attention of the small and medium-sized enterprises in Canada, which make up 99.8% of the companies in Canada, we we need to kind of have a way for them to at least be able to spell SDG or ESG or sustainability or something. Um, And right now, there's no reason why they need to or would bother wasting their time on that. However, if they want to be a supplier to the federal government, and this this is bull stroke number three, what I'm saying to the federal government is, why don't you just ask anybody that is a wannabe supplier,
0: mm-hmm. how are
1: you doing on the SDGs? Why the SDGs? Because Canada signed up for those things. Yeah. In 2015, 193 countries that are members of the UN signed up for the SDGs. So, um, it's not going that well. There's no hope that we're going to make those things by 2030. So, it's now 2020. You say, well sdg 17 says partnership for the goals <clears throat> so we have an opportunity here partner with businesses businesses that are on the same wavelength you are and the best way to partner with them is using as suppliers buy from them so why don't you just ask them a simple question how are you doing on contributing to the sdgs and if we give them a tool that doesn't require a phd in sustainability to complete that tool and i've designed it and it's free and it's open mm-hmm. source 38 questions really good questions but not too hard, Um, (laughs) then uh, they've got a fair chance of being able to disclose that. Now, that's just sort of a pre-qualifier. At some point, it'll become a weighted criteria in the procurement arm of the, the government, the PSPC in Canada. And... That, that's that's the plan. So the customer voice, and if we can shake this down at the federal level, mm-hmm. we can take that whole system, make it available at the provincial level and at the municipal level. And if we can do that in Canada, we can do that in all the countries in the world, all 193 that signed up for the SDGs. And within three years, we will have every B2B uh, enterprise on the planet, either dealing with corporations or dealing with, with uh, governments. Very, very committed. To making sure that they are not only contributing, but trying to do more to contribute. Mm -hmm. And we've got them. And there's a fighting chance that we will be able to do this. So the voice of the customer with the voice of the investor together is going to, I think, make the difference.
0: Right. Well, I think this conversation I had with the Associate Finance Minister's office, uh, chief of staff, is you know during COVID, and she's that's Mona Fortier, who's responsible under Trudeau's mandate letter for quality of life and well-being. Uh, and similar to what you've been saying, is like, why don't we think about um, during COVID the opportunities that present themselves now to understand the relationships we have with, with local business. Uh, as individuals. Um, that that serve money is really nice, um, but the Bank of Canada government said only 70% of it's actually being spent so far, and savings rates are going up. They've doubled, actually, since uh, COVID, which is interesting. But this kind of mapping out a strategy that says, you know, given that we're all in this together, there's an opportunity to understand the kind of the supply supply chain relationship, especially with small business, and especially if we can do as citizens, supporting our local businesses and enterprises, to make sure they're resilient. I mean, maybe the burn rate is seventy percent of what was pre-COVID, um, but you know, I think a lot of us. There's some businesses that are that are doing okay. They're they're resilient, but do we know their story? Do we know why? Um, I think those are the things that, um, at least, are top of mind in my my opinion, uh, and that it doesn't chafe against globalization or trade. It just says, look this notion of sustainability is actually about local resilience and within the watersheds in which we live even. I love the
1: word resilience. Uh, to me, it's more powerful and sustainable. Uh, and we really need to get smarter about setting ourselves up to be resilient in the face of crises, crises mm. that are local or global. Um, and we haven't done a good job of that, but it's pretty clear that some of the organizations that rightly or wrongly are deemed to be the most sustainable, sustainable companies, publicly traded companies seem to be weathering this storm a little bit better than others. Their stock hasn't dropped as much as others. They're able to, um, have reserves that they're able to tap into to be able to weather this. They treat their employees in such a way that they get paid leave of absence or paid uh, stay at home kind of uh, environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we've got is um, a lot of ideas that that if we implement them universally, we will be in a much better position to weather the next crisis and the one after that. Because frankly, COVID-19 is just a warm up exercise. Absolutely. Uh, we need to get ready for something which is going to be one heck of a lot harder to, to deal with, and that's climate change and all of the, the, um, the associated crises that are going to come with that biodiversity loss, water, food, the whole bit. So um, we need to really, really rethink how uh, to be more resilient and to be able to position ourselves to not only be resilient but to thrive despite yeah. all of these crises that, and a lot, a lot of the, agenda,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's the flourishing approach. John Ehrenfeld talks about, and, and I really mm. do think that that's a mentality that we need to embrace and make uh, more determined efforts to aspire for.
0: Mm-hmm. So if uh, our new finance minister were to call you uh, on Monday, um, what would you uh, other than promoting the or the seven common sense uh, <laughs> aspirations what would you what would you be telling her office
1: implement the green new deal pick any, any any one of them and fix the gdp so we're looking at a gpi those are the two things i would really really encourage her to do and she has the power to do them yeah and in fact she has the unique power to do them um, it's pretty clear that um, there's a window of opportunity here to get away with some things that we could not normally get away with. It's, you know, in the paper, I used the quote from Churchill about not letting a good crisis go to waste. Um, And we, we have a window of opportunity here for her to take some pretty bold strokes to be able to um, position ourselves much better than than otherwise. And the, the nice thing, and you're familiar with the well-being economic alliance, and mm-hmm. the associated governments that are adopting well-being economic approaches. Interestingly, led by women,
0: by women. Much, yes, the, thank the you. Iceland, Finland, New Zealand, <laughs> now Scotland, now and and two Scotland. Canadian finance ministers. Yeah,
1: yeah the, I think there's there's hope here.
0: There is hope.
1: You know, both her book and her um stated objectives as she took this job are are very very encouraging so as a canadian i i live on hope that that this could actually work um for us and be a role model for others
0: very exciting um we just heard that mark carney's taking a job at brookfield um
1: which is that.
0: very exciting one of the biggest realist you know real real estate developers in the country um and i've i've been intrigued with them for quite a while but so it's interesting that now he's uh he's taken a vp position there uh, what, yeah. what role do you think of mark carney um who's you know back in canada and had had you know the bank of canada's governor position and the england um you know what what do you think we could talk to him about about what might he do now on the corporate side of brookfield when he's
1: well, Brookfield looks after a lot of the, in fact, all of the real estate for the federal government. So he's, uh, you know, that those are assets for the federal government, mm-hmm. and um, the federal government owns more property than any other entity in Canada. So um, th- he's got connections that way. He's already been used as a, as an advisor, informal advisor to Trudeau while Morneau was still there. Um, he's a Canadian. He understands our economy <laughs> from his roles well in the charge of the Bank of Canada. Um, and there was also a, a sort of a comment in the, the Toronto Star this morning that Brookfield seems to be a place for politicians in waiting to kind of, <laughs> it's like a finishing school for them. So um, I think Jim has tried that too, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, we may hear from him again in a different capacity, but yeah, I yeah. think just having him back and available uh, is good. And I think that uh, he would be a good sounding board for some of the strategies that um, the more uh, formally positioned folks in the government might want to think about.
0: So I'm curious, I know I know it's not your expertise per se, but something I've been using about is, you know, we've just probably created 400 billion worth of new uh, debt instruments to pay for COVID um, and uh, all the economic outf- outcomes. Um or impacts but the you know recommendation seven which is you know um, consider the role of public banking and and restore right. i've been saying restore the central bank's power the bank of canada to its pre-73 powers which was to create basically debt uh for really just simply to balance the federal budget that was the first priority of the right. central bank and of course it could do that without cost and I've shown that that debt has exploded ever since uh, Trudeau and others signed on to the the Basel Agreement to sell that debt to the private sector. So here we are. We've added. We, we were at seven hundred fifty billion pre-COVID, and we've just added another four hundred billion. So seven hundred fifty accumulated since seventy four. So, from a fiscal or sort of monetary policy perspective, do you have any thoughts on? When you say public banking, or um, again, I'm putting you on the spot, but uh, what kind of future do you think a properly empowered central bank might play uh, in a post-COVID economy?
1: Well, (laughs) as as you've said for years, um, we need to get there to get back to what it used to do. Um, It's a question of how more than if. Mm and to re-legitimize the role of the central bank as the lender, not private banks. And the the use of community banks, and as you've often advocated for, interest-free loans from those institutions uh, to stimulate the economy. Um, The way in which you outline what needs to be done to be able to do all of this is the most thorough that I've ever seen, Mark. So I, I, I shouldn't I'm, comment I'm on blushing. something that I'm not close to. It's brilliant. I mean, you've looked at the monetary system. you looked at the banking system. You've looked at um, all of the way in which these affect the economy or the economics of uh, how we organize ourselves and look after ourselves. And so thoughtful, so thoughtful. So you've got the blueprint. It's just a question of how we how we get the people who can implement it to have the courage to do it.
0: I think that's the frustrating thing I, you know, I have to say is like a lot of the stuff is you've been saying is common sense, right? It's actually, I've stopped being an advocate saying that I'm an advocate for change. I'm just an advocate for common sense accounting, you know, that we don't run our country. We run a country without a balance sheet. The bank of Canada doesn't have a balance sheet. This is just a failure. Basic accounting principles. It has nothing right. to do with the Green New Deal or whatever other political color you want to put on yourself. So, that to me is frustrating just on its own.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, can you tell me a little bit uh, the shifting to the, you know, so let, let's I'll call it going beyond even the B Corp. So we've got you know, great, you know, you're a B Corp, and that's a fantastic new uh, movement that's occurred in our lifetime. But in the in the context of, do you envision um, kind of an investment climate where we might actually intentionally, you know, we've got BlackRock and others saying, okay, we're we're now going to divest from things that we, you know, equities that we don't think are contributing to a future of well-being. So, do you can you envision a, a time when our investment portfolios or Canadian pension plan are actually going to fully embrace, uh, you know investing in the b corp or whatever the next generation of b corp will be and what would that look like
1: well i live on hope that (laughs) that that'll happen i'd like to see bdc give um, uh, the business development bank uh, give preferential rates to b corps certified b corps um, or organizations that have the attributes of a benefit corporation that's trying to do something useful not only for the economy but for the environment and society um, social enterprises is another incarnation of the same notion mm-hmm. uh, they're getting some traction uh, trying to uh, carve out a niche within that thinking which is very oriented towards the social side and i give them full credit for that but sometimes it's almost as if it's something different from b-corps and i'm not sure that if you look closely at what they're talking about it is as different as they say it is. Um, so we get in our own way on, on some of these things, but yeah, I think if we start give pre- giving preferential um, uh, lending rate, rates to those organizations, if we ask them those questions in order for them to qualify either as a as a supplier or a buyer, um, then we'll start to legitimize the fact that this is not a business model for the for the radical fringe. Th- this is actually the kind of business model that a per- purpose-led multi-stakeholder organization um, would look like. That's what mm-hmm. it is. So all of this stuff about purpose and multi-stakeholder well-being, uh, that's exactly what a B Corp is all about, purpose-driven and looking after other stakeholders. Right, right. So it's getting traction in different, in different incarnations. Uh, and we just need to be careful we don't get in each other's way as we try to uh, move the ball in the right direction on the way in which we want to articulate what that looks like, as opposed to others that are using different language. This gets into, it's, it's like sustainability. There are, there are almost religious wars between
0: mm-hmm.
1: the the, uh, the folks that want to call it capitals, like natural, human, and social yeah, exactly. capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the ones that want to call it you know sustainability and environmental, social, and governance, ESG stuff, uh, and the ones that want to call it SDGs. And yeah, we're all talking about the same stuff. It's just the
0: theological debate. That's all. Yeah,
1: it's too yeah. bad. It's, it is too need, bad. We don't need that. So a lot of the the challenge that folks like you and I have is acting as translators and mediators um, in these discussions to reassure everybody that we, we totally agree with them. We're just using slightly different language to. Uh, to describe what it is that we're trying to get to. So my latest tool is a three-in-one sustainability assessment toolkit, Mm -hmm. which allows any organization to self-assess how they're doing on sustainability. So they can do that, the first one, is on sustainability, the way you and I think of it, how they're doing on environmental, social, and employee-related things. And then we translate those scores into aligned SDGs. So you want to figure out how they're doing on SDGs, take those basic scores as proxies and map them to related SDGs. And if you want to do it for capitals, map those scores to capitals. So the three-in-one tool uses all three languages. It's the Rosetta Stone for all of these uh, vocabularies that we're using to describe the same stuff um, and just muddying each other's waters with different jargon.
0: Right. Did you not call that the gold standard? Wasn't that... So oh, that, a few years ago <laughs> or is that that's that's now morphed into some
1: <laughs> well it, it's it's part of it part um, of it yeah yeah the the goal standard morphed into something called the future fit business benchmark which right, is right future sci- fit that's right yeah. so it's a science based benchmark um, and uh, based on the natural step science and it's got twenty three break even goals i've distilled them down for small and medium sized enterprise purposes to seventeen um, and those are the ones that are used in that that assessment toolkit because it's intended for small and medium-sized enterprises.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm
1: It's a it's a cool tool. It was like my capstone project. It, it was it, it required just about all of my B Corp knowledge and all of my Future Fit <laughs> knowledge and sustainability knowledge to be able to put it together. But it was fun.
0: So uh, maybe just a couple more reflections on on your life experience of shaping. Uh... In the field of behavioral economics, I think you've been very successful at shaping the way people think. Uh, You give people practical tools. They can't say they they didn't have the alternative tools. Uh, What gives you hope that um, this crisis will maybe, um, from your experience of human behavior, that maybe this time we will accelerate even more quickly in in the the direction you're proposing? What, What gives you a sense of that hope?
1: I think people are waking up. Um, uh, uh, when you see what's happened just in the last couple of weeks on the social uh, justice front, mm-hmm. we've got NBA teams <laughs> not playing.
0: And now Look, NHL teams and, not and playing.
1: NHL teams. I mean, this is getting personal. <laughs> this is <laughs> so, getting personal.
0: So come when, on.
1: When, when we get that level of public personas that are going public on issues that have been way, way, way on the back burner for way too long. And when we have people all over the world erupting into demonstrations against long overdue repair of, of social injustices, um, I think people are, are at the point where they don't trust the people in charge and they are taking steps to make them sure that their interests are not being trodden on by the people in power and the people with the money. Mm-hmm. And the, the chasm between the haves and the have nots is so obscene these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, of course. That, uh, you know, it puts the richest person on the planet, his, his or her face on the front of Fortune magazine, is, is celebrating uh, evil. I mean, it's, it's absolutely. Abs- there's
0: no other word, right? Evil. It's it's
1: yeah. it's you know how can we possibly possibly say that that is a good thing to be that greedy? So um, I, I really do think that people are, are as you say, common sense says, what the heck? What, what's going on, on here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've got these billions and billions of dollars worth of, of of debt, and we've got trillionaires that are you know doing nothing. So doing nothing is right. It's time we figured out how to level the playing field a little bit more and uh, get on with it. So it's exciting. It Um, is
0: exciting. Thank you.
1: It's going to be a rough ride, but it's going to be fun.
0: And it's uh, it's always refreshing to be talking to friends across the border or Europe and feeling like how are things in Canada? It seems pretty calm to me when I look outside. And, uh, you know, we're, we're the peace, we're the land, of, we're Canada, we're the peaceful place, supposedly. So right. we have, a, we have an, I think, an amazing role to play internationally. Um, and so I'm excited about being Canadian and, and I'm thrilled that, you know, we've got people like you and others who are, I think, leading, um, I would say a path of wisdom, so.
1: Thank you, thank, thank you. you. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be Canadian and I'm thankful to be yeah, Canadian. We so are so lucky to be where we are at this time.
0: <laughs> oh, it's man, on. I,
1: can't, <laughs> I, I can't think of any other place I'd rather be. This is this is pretty darn good, and we shouldn't squander this privilege.
0: Yeah, it's a privilege. Uh, it's a window of deep, wonderful reflection where we spent the summer outdoors, I think, a lot of us. And so uh, yeah, what a so privilege. So thank you, Mark. Well, this thank is, you so th- much.
1: It's been a treat. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you.